You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Jeremiah chapter 3, we started this uh, last week on this particular chapter, and it says in Jeremiah 3, verse number 1, they say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall he return unto her again? Shall not that land be greatly polluted, but thou hast played the, uh, played the harlot with many lovers, yet return again to me, saith the Lord. We saw last week how that God in his relationship with his people, and this is Jeremiah is the prophet, and he is uh, prophesying in Jerusalem, that's the capital city of Judah, and that is the uh, southern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom of Israel has already gone into captivity uh, under the Assyrian uh, kingdom. And so now Judah is left, and they should have learned their lesson, and they should have stayed close to God, and they should have worshipped God, but they have begun to backslide. And as they are backsliding, uh, it wasn't necessarily real obvious on the outside yet, but Jeremiah is preaching straight to their heart because there's backsliding that's going on uh, internally. And by the way, if it starts on the inside, unless you get it corrected or unless I get it corrected, uh, what's on the inside is eventually going to come out. Uh, that's where it starts. Uh, most of the time, I don't. there may be an exception, I don't know of any, but when you hear about someone and they do something terrible, they do something awful, they do something that you say, I never would have imagined that. Well, it started somewhere. And it may have started small and it may have started little and it may have started hidden. But the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Someone will, maybe you'll say something and I hope you don't, but you'll fly off the handle and you'll, you'll, you'll cuss somebody out or you'll, uh, you'll, 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 you'll gossip with your tongue or you'll be critical with your tongue and then you'll catch yourself and say, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know where that came from. Well, I do. It came because you've been thinking about it. It came because you've been dwelling on it. It came because it was in your mind and it was in your heart and eventually what's on the inside, it will come out. The people of Judah, they were backsliding in their heart and eventually it would be carried out in their actions and judgment would come. But God used the example of a marriage relationship. And as he's talking about Judah, he says, you, God's people, you have played the harlot. You have been unfaithful. You have uh, not fulfilled the marriage vows. You have not fulfilled the covenant. Uh, many times we liken idolatry or worshiping idols, we liken that to spiritual adultery. We talked about last week in the Old Testament, uh, one of the Ten Commandments is very clear. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You say, well, that's Old Testament. Well, we showed you last week, uh, Jesus didn't lessen up on that commandment. As a matter of fact, he kind of tightened it up a little bit and made it even more serious that God is against adultery. Whether, whether you like it or not, I know our society, they, they think that everything's okay and uh, people don't believe in marriage anymore. 
Uh, people just think you can just live together and you can just do whatever. But in God's eyes, marriage is still the way it's supposed to be. And marriage is still sacred and holy. And once you're in that marriage, God's requirement is that you be faithful to one another. Now, you may be here and maybe you've had a, a spouse that has left you or maybe you've had a spouse that's been unfaithful. I'm not here tonight to beat you over the head. I'm not here tonight to put you on a guilt trip, but I am here tonight to reiterate the fact that God's word is clear. Marriage is still important to God. And God is against adultery. I think of a couple of examples in the New Testament. One was the woman at the well. That woman at the well, she came to Jesus and, and Jesus uh, uh, asked her to draw water and he couldn't believe that, uh, that she was even speaking to him because Jesus, of course, a Jew and she was a Samaritan. But as the story went on, Jesus said, if you knew who was here talking to you, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water so that you would never thirst again. Jesus was talking about spiritual things, of course, and he was talking about that she could have her spiritual thirst quenched. And by the way, only Jesus can quench the longing and the thirsting in your soul. We talked about it Sunday morning. Money can't do it. Pleasure can't do it. Uh, things cannot do it. Relationships cannot fulfill that void that only Jesus was made to fill in your life. But the woman said, Jesus told the woman, she said, I want you to go and get your husband and bring him back here. And the woman at the well said, um, um, uh, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. <laughs> You've had five, and the one that you're with now is not your husband. Jesus differentiated between the fact that here she was living with someone who was not her husband, and she had had five husbands in the past, but Jesus differentiated between that. John the Baptist was preaching. And John the Baptist was the voice. He was the messenger. He was the, the forerunner for Jesus. And uh, John the Baptist preached a message that wasn't popular. He preached a message to King Herod. And he said to the king, he said, you may be the king and you may think you're in charge and you may think you can do what you want to, but it's not lawful for you to have your brother Philip's wife. And John the Baptist lost his head because he preached a message against sin. He preached a message from the Bible. I just believe that marriage is still important to God. And that is evident. It's obvious in the fact that God uses that relationship in an example for how he feels about his people and their faithfulness to him. We saw last week, we saw uh, how that uh, in a, uh, your, your marriage, maybe you could lose your love for your spouse. The same is true in the Christian life. You can lose your love for God and you can lose your love for the things that are spiritual. you got to get that love back. Uh, yes, you stay married because of a commitment. You stay married because uh, you made a promise, but also there ought to be a love and there ought to be a relationship and there ought to be a sweetness. Uh, for my wife and I, we, we made the commitment and we stood there in Washington, Iowa, on a Friday night, March the 15th, 2002, and we exchanged those vows and uh, we, we pledged our lives to each other to be faithful to one another. You say, well, have you ever had problems since then? Well, you know we have because everybody does. You say, have you ever had hard days? Sure, but we made a promise. But the, the goal is not just to say, well, I guess I'm stuck with her. 
The goal is to be in love. And some of you couples here, I tell you, my, my hat is off to you to being married for 40 and 50 and 60 years. God bless you and thank you for setting that example. And it's still possible. And it's still something that you and I can do to stay uh, married and to stay in love. But it's also possible to stay in love with the Lord. Uh, don't let your relationship with God grow cold and don't let your relationship with God become uh, uh, stagnant, but refresh and renew that love. We talked about that last week. I'd like to draw your attention now to chapter number uh, 3 and verse number 25, and we'll get to the end of this chapter and we'll start on chapter 4. It says in verse 25, We lie down in our shame, and our confusion covereth us, for we have sinned against the Lord our God, we and our fathers from our youth unto this day, and here it is, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. We see God's people they sinned against God and they refused to obey His voice. Notice chapter 4, verse 1. God is speaking to His people and He says, If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away thine abominations out of my sight, then shalt thou not remove. And thou shalt swear, the Lord liveth in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness, and the nation shall bless themselves in him, and in him shall they glory. We see that if Israel or if Judah was going to come back, and if Israel would have come back to God and had that relationship restored, they could return to God. But when we return to God, there must be some things removed in our lives. Now think about this. If, if my wife and I, if, if we were having trouble and we were having, uh, we were just having just knock down drag outs and I was, uh, I was rude to her and I was this and that and I'm, you know, going out and, you know, not paying the rent and I'm drinking and doing drugs and, you know, I'm going around spending time with all these girlfriends and all that and I come back to Joanna and I say, Joanna, I want to come back and I want us to have a good relationship. Now, first of all, the ball's in her court. Because she's not the one who's been unfaithful and she's not the one who's broken the vows. She's got a choice to make. But can I tell you, if that relationship is going to be restored, I'm not going to come and I'm not going to bring all that junk in the relationship. That's not going to work. There's got to be some things removed. There's got to be some things that are confessed. There's got to be some things that are dealt with. And God said, if you're going to come back to me, you're going to have to remove, you're going to have to put away the abominations out of my sight. Remember what we said, God's people, they wanted to worship God, but they also wanted to worship their idols. They wanted to have it both ways. And folks, I got news for us. You cannot serve God and idols because God is a jealous God. He's the only God. He's not gonna share his glory with anybody else. And God is God to be worshiped alone. End of discussion. You can't have other gods. You can't have other loves. You can't have other things you worship. You must remove that. And notice verse 2. When you return to God, it says, Thou shalt swear the Lord liveth. Boy, when you get back in love with God and you put away the false gods and you put away the things of this world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and all that nonsense, you put that away. You're going to say and you're going to live these statements here. The Lord liveth in truth and in judgment 
and in righteousness. Your, your view of God will be right. And your relationship with God will be right if you truly come back to him. The nations shall bless themselves in him and in him shall they glory. Notice verse 3. For thus saith the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. We see in verse number 3, returning to God, not only does it require removing abominations, not only does it require a return to the truth and a return to righteousness, but verse 3, returning to God, means that you're going to have to have your fallow ground broken up. Now, I, uh, I'm going to shock you with this. Um, I'm not a farmer. I know you can't believe that. I know you can't imagine that. Um, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, which is a pretty big city for the Midwest, 150,000. When I was 16, my family moved to Geneseo. And Geneseo was about 20 miles from Moline, Illinois, which is the John Deere World Headquarters. That's the place uh, where John Deere and all theirs, they've got museums there. It's a neat place. And it, farm country everywhere. You ought to see some of that soil. Some of you have been there, and I think Brother Morris has been up there, maybe some of you others. But I'm telling you, that soil is so black. It is so rich. It is incredible. And this time of year, you start to see those huge combines in the fields. And I know we have them here too, but I mean, they'll go around the clock. And boy, they are working and they are harvesting and they are doing all they can to get that crop in before the freeze. But you know, this fallow ground, I had no idea what that meant a few, I guess, several years back now. I looked it up and I realized that fallow ground is, is not rocky ground. It's not necessarily ground that is hard or ground that is, uh, is not fertile, but it's ground that has been plowed up. It's been prepared. It's been tilled, but then it was left to sit for too long. And because of that, it, it gets a, a layer on the top that becomes a crust and becomes hard, and it's just, it just needs to be broken up. It's not impossible. It's not that it couldn't happen. It's just going to require some work. But notice what it says in verse 3. It says, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. It's found also in the book of Hosea that we are to break up our fallow ground. Did you know many times we get away from God not because we fall into some deep, dark sin, not because we hate God, not because we, we, we reject God, not because we throw the Bible in the trash can, not none of that. But sometimes we get away from God just because... We let our hearts get hard. We just kind of become a little cold to the things of God. Maybe we come, become a little disinterested to the things of God. Maybe we just get too busy for God and we don't have time for it. But our, our, the soil of our heart becomes hard. The Word of God doesn't speak to us anymore. Maybe we can sit in services and it goes in one ear or out the other. Or maybe we can even sit in services and we're not even thinking about the preaching. We're thinking about everything else. And by the way, I've been there before and I've got a million things on my mind and there's so much I'm trying and, and the preacher's preaching and I'm thinking, what's he talking about? Oh no, I, I missed something. Where, where's he going with this? And the word of God, maybe it, it's not as powerful to you as it used to be. Maybe the Holy Spirit can't speak to you like he used to speak. I'll tell you, I've been in some services where the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. It just seemed like I couldn't write things down fast enough. It seemed like I couldn't get things down enough. And I just, there were so many things I thought, 
boy, I need to work on this. Boy, Lord, help me with this, and Lord, help me with this. And then I've been in some services where I feel like the whole message, I didn't allow the Holy Spirit to speak to me. And I know the problem was not with the preacher because I know he studied, and I know he prayed, and I know he preached the Bible. And I know the problem wasn't with the people because when the invitation came, other people were making decisions and other people were responding. But the problem was with me because the Holy Spirit was not speaking to me because I had tuned him out. But God's people, they had become cold. They needed that fallow ground to be broken up. You know how our ground, uh, the ground of our heart gets hard. It gets hard when there's no rain. It gets hard when we don't allow the showers of blessing to penetrate the soil. The heart gets hard when there's no cultivating. There's no conviction from the Holy Spirit. Revelation 3, the church at Laodicea, their problem was they said, we don't need anything. We're good. We've got it all figured out. Uh, Pastor, we've heard that sermon before. Pastor, we've, 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 we've read that book before. Pastor, we've heard that uh, missionary video before. Pastor, we've heard the plea before about soul winning. And Pastor, we've heard the plea before about a bus ministry. And Pastor, we've heard the plea before about nursery workers and, and, and ushers and greeters. And we've heard the plea before about men soul winning. And, and we've heard all that. We don't need that. We're good. We're all right. Can I tell you, that's a sign many times that our hearts have become hard. When we just say, I'm good, I don't need anything, I'm fine, just, just, I'm all right. When the truth is, we all need something from God. And if you think you don't need something from God, I would dare say you might be the one that needs it the most. And I might be the one that needs it the most. If I say, I'm good, I'm fine, uh, that is saying, Lord, I don't need you. I've got your blessings. I've got your provision. I'm breathing your air. I've got a roof over my head. I've got money in the bank. And Lord, I'm, I'm not acknowledging the fact that you gave me all those things. I'm good. I don't need you. I've got news for you. You do need the Lord, and I do need the Lord every day. What if God just pulled back his hand of blessing? What if God pulled back his hand of protection? I tell you, we'd be in a mess. But I'm thankful for God's blessing, but we think we don't need him. Maybe you do not have a burden for souls anymore. Maybe it doesn't bother you that people are dying every day and do not know Christ as Savior. Friend, I want to tell you, when, when we see those videos at the missions conference or when we see uh, people come to church and walk in aisle and get saved or we see people get baptized, boy, that ought to be the most exciting thing that happens in our week. That's more important than a Super Bowl, I promise you. That's more important than a, an NBA league. It's more important than anything when souls are saved. But so many times we have no burden. Many times we have no tears and we have no brokenness for our sin. Many times we're not even ashamed of sin anymore. Many times we get to a point where we've justified our sin. We've convinced ourselves that it's not really that bad because after all, we're not as bad as so-and-so. And we've convinced ourselves because we're not as bad as someone else, we're okay, and sin's not a big deal. I got news for you. It was your sin, and it was my sin that nailed Jesus to the cross, and sin is something that breaks the heart of God, and sin is something that is a big deal. May God help us to confess our sin and forsake our sin and get right. Our hearts become hard when there's no desire to do any more for God. I'm, I, I've done enough. I, I don't have time for that. 
nothing more I need to do, nothing more I can do, nothing more I want to do. Uh, I have no desire to serve God. I have no desire to do more for God. Maybe your heart is hard because you have just reached the status quo. Maybe your heart is hard because the preaching no longer speaks to your heart. Maybe you don't have time for your Bible reading anymore. Maybe your heart has become hard because you have not allowed the rain and the moisture and you have not allowed the showers to come into your, your heart from the Word of God. Friend, I want to tell you, your heart's going to get hard in a hurry if you don't read this book because this book right here is the answer for your Christian life. And you say, I've read it before. Yeah, well, maybe so. Uh, I've eaten lunch before too, but I'm going to eat lunch again tomorrow. Yeah, I've taken a bath before, but I'm going to take a bath again tonight. Can I tell you, just because you've read it doesn't mean you don't need it. It's a book that's alive and it's powerful. Maybe you don't have time anymore for prayer. Maybe you don't have time anymore to spend time with God. Your heart has become hard. The uh, children up here um, Sunday night, they just sang so beautifully. And uh, Miss Kelly and the workers, you did such a good job. But you know, I was, I was listening to that song. I'm thinking, I hope those children, I hope they capture the truth of that song. The song talks about our secret place where we spend time with God, where we find hope and where we find peace and where we find rest and where we find a shelter. And I want to tell you, I was, I was thinking, I hope these children, I hope they understand that and I hope they capture that. And then I thought, I hope some adults recapture that. I hope some adults get back to where they get up in the morning and they just can't wait to get in the Bible. I hope there's some church members that'll say, you know, I used to read my Bible and I used to pray, but it's gotten old or I've gotten busy or it's just, uh, it's kind of got out of my schedule, but I'm going to get back in that. We'll never have a church that, that's doing uh, anything of eternal value if we're not founded in the Word of God and founded in prayer. We can do nothing apart from God's help and power. But many times our hearts get hard. Dr. Ironside pastored for uh, many years and uh, uh, oversaw the uh, Bible Institute of Los Angeles in California, the early 1900s. He said this, he said, the plowshare of conviction must overturn the hardened soil of the heart. Now, think about this. If you're saved, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then there is a process going on in your life that God is trying to conform you every day to be like Jesus, more and more like Jesus, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Would you say that's true? That's, that's the goal. Now, are we ever going to be sinless? No. But every day we ought to sin less, right? So the goal is to be more like Jesus. That's what, that's what we're, we're saved, to be conformed to His image, to be sanctified and set apart. Now, is there anybody in this room that you say, Pastor, I've arrived, and I have, I'm, if you were looking at me and Jesus side by side, you wouldn't be able to tell us apart because I have arrived, and I'm 100% like Jesus right now. Is there anybody like that? I haven't met anybody. I know I'm not. So if we're not where we're supposed to be yet, would you say that all of us should be improving? 
Would you say that we all should be growing? And would you say that there's some things that need to happen? And so therefore, the Holy Spirit ought to be convicting us and showing us and pointing things out in our lives that would help us to be more like Christ. There must be conviction. And that plowshare of conviction, Dr. Ironside said, it overturns the hardened soil of the heart. When there's a hardened heart, there's no fruit, there's no growth, there's a stagnant status quo Christianity. Notice with me, Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 5. Declare ye in Judah and publish in Jerusalem and say, Blow ye the trumpet in the land and cry and gather together and say, Assemble yourselves and let us go into the defense cities. Set up the standard toward Zion and retire and stay not, for I will bring evil from the north and a great destruction. The lion is come out of his thicket and the destroyer of the Gentiles is on his way. He has gone forth from his place to make thy land desolate, and thy cities shall be laid waste without an inhabitant. For this, gird you with sackcloth, lament and howl, for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. We see in these verses that God was pleading with his people to wake up. He was pleading with his people to return to him before the judgment came. He was begging them to weep and he was begging them to uh, mourn and to repent and to get things right because there was evil coming. There was judgment coming from the Babylonians. Now here's what's amazing to me and here's what's so, so tragic is I don't know what it would take for you and I don't know what it would take for me, but God has a way of getting our attention, does he not? And sometimes it's little things. Sometimes it's big things. Maybe, maybe God wouldn't have to do something in your life. Maybe God would have to do it in a loved one to really get your attention. But I'll say this. If you're backslidden, if I'm backslidden, God may not do something tragic. There may not be an auto accident. There may not be a death. There may not be a heartache like that, but it could be. It's possible that you could continue or I could continue to be cold and hardened to the things of God so much that there'd be no joy and there'd be no peace. And it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be uh, anything that happened overnight. It would just be a gradual backsliding to where you or I could get to the point to where we were so far from God that we no longer had the joy, we no longer had the peace, we no longer could hear the voice of God speaking to us. God's people needed to wake up. Verse 10, the false prophets had convinced them that they were okay. Verse number 10, then said I, ah, Lord God, surely thou hast greatly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying, ye shall have peace, whereas the sword reacheth unto the soul. It was interesting, and we'll see this later in Jeremiah, but there were some prophets who they were specializing in positive thinking. There were prophets who were saying, oh, don't worry about the Babylon, Babylonians. Don't worry about the enemy. Even when the city was under siege, there were uh, prophets that were saying, God's going to break the yoke of the Babylonians and you're going to be fine and we're going to be delivered. And there were many prophets who were just saying everything was going to be okay. I want to tell you, we need the positive, but we also need the negative. We need the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? 
Sometimes the truth is not what you want to hear, but the truth is what we need. God's people needed the truth. They had prophets that were convincing them that they didn't need to repent. Verse 14, it says, O Jerusalem, wash thine heart from wickedness that thou mayest be saved. How long shall thy vain thoughts lodge within thee? How long until you get right? And how long till you come back to God? Verse 18, thy way and thy doings have procured these things unto thee. This is thy wickedness because it is bitter, because it reacheth unto thine heart. You know, we've talked about this, but backsliding, backsliding has a built-in punishment. Backsliding has built-in consequences. And when it's all said and done, we can't blame anybody else. If I'm backslidden, I can't blame my wife because it's not her responsibility for my spiritual life. That's something I've got to work on. If I'm backslidden, I can't blame the assistant pastor. Although I love to blame the assistant pastor for a lot of stuff. That's that's why you have, uh, you know, coworkers, right? You got to have somebody to blame. I don't know what you do if you're self-employed, but yeah, I guess you blame your spouse. I don't know what you do, but anyway, you can't blame anybody else and I can't blame anybody else for being backslidden. That's up to me. That is my fault. Verse number 22, it says, for my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are sottish children and they have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but to do good, they have no knowledge. How foolish that God's own people did not even know God like they should. Verses 23 to 29, we see the judgment of God. Verse 23, I beheld the earth and lo, it was without form and void in the heavens. They had no light and I beheld the mountains and lo, they trembled and the hills moved lightly and I beheld and lo, there was no man and all the birds of the heaven were fled. And we see the judgment of God and God making the land desolate. Verse number 27. Verse 29, the whole city shall flee for the noise of the horsemen and the boatmen and they shall go into thickets and climb up into the rocks and every city shall be forsaken and not a man to dwell therein. The judgment of God was proclaimed to Judah because they had turned from God. Verse number 30, and when thou art spoiled, what wilt thou do? Though thou closest thy clothes, clothest thyself with crimson, though thou deckest thee with ornaments of gold, and though thou rentest thy face with painting, and in vain shalt thou make thyself fair, thy lovers will despise thee, and they will seek thy life. This, This is so, so true. God warned his people. He said, hey, those idols and the heathen and the false gods and those things that you worship and you are so in love with, those very people and those very things will be your destruction. Isn't that amazing? That's how sin works, isn't it? Boy, you think, oh boy, this sin, I've got it. I'm getting away with it. I'm having the time of my life, but sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. And the wages of sin is death, the consequences of sin. And we think, we think we can get away with it. I've told the story before, but you can't play with sin. I cannot play with sin because it always gets you. It was, uh, I guess now it's been about probably 13, 14 years ago. But in San Francisco, California, we were in um, Illinois at the time for Christmas. 
and uh, we saw the paper the next day, but it was either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. There were some young, young men, like late teens, early 20s, that were at the San Francisco Zoo. And uh, they had been drinking, and they were throwing stuff into the lion enclosure. And, uh, oh, they were taunting this lion, and they were trying to get him all riled up. Well, this, this lion, this lion escaped the enclosure. And this lion killed, uh, I think it was one of the boys, and two of them were injured, and it was a big deal. And immediately the news came out, and they said, they had reports, they said that um, uh, some, they, 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 they had to put something in there to allow the lion to climb out, or they opened a gate or something, but they said somebody aided or somebody helped the lion to escape the cage. And what they found out after investigation, they found out that nobody had let the lion out. That lion had literally leaped up and over the, that embankment, and it wasn't as tall as it should have been. I think the zoo was built in the 1940s, and the, uh, it wasn't up to current code. It was, up, it was grandfathered in, but it should have been much higher. But that lion got out of that enclosure, and that lion attacked and killed one of those men who had been playing with it, just been kind of toying with it, kind of taunting, thinking, that lion's never going to get me. And you know, that, that's obviously, that's pretty scary to think, wow, man, that lion got out. But here's what's amazing. There had been for 60-some years, there had been people walking by that enclosure. There had been school groups. There had been field trips. There had been mothers pushing strollers with little babies. There had been uh, parents. There had been senior citizens. There had been thousands and thousands of people that had walked by that enclosure, and they had no idea how close the danger was. You know, I think sometimes that's how we view sin. We think it's never going to get me. We think it's never going to hurt me. We think that only happens to other people because I've got it under control. I've got it all figured out. It's not going to affect me. But the Bible tells us that God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God's people were reaping the consequences of their sin from being backslidden and the judgment of God was coming. May God help us and may God allow us to use this passage and these uh, messages from Jeremiah as a reminder for us to turn back to God before judgment comes. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.